This is a Rooster Teeth production. Charles, we're going to talk about Muppets today, which I am excessively excited about. Yeah. Before we get into all of the nitty gritty, uh-huh. um, I, I got to start off and kind of give people a little bit of, of, of another temperature reading. Okay. Charles, of their entire gamut, of their entire cast, of all the personas in the Muppet, you know, uh, cornucopia. Who is your Muppet you most relate to? The Muppet that I'm... Ooh, oof. Who is your Muppet horoscope? You know, who, who, <laughs> who, who defines Charles as a Muppet? My Muppet horoscope, you know, this is... I, I'm, I'm very well prepared to answer this question. I'm assuming Fantastic. that you just want, like, my Muppet sun sign, but I'm going to give you my rising <laughs> as well. <laughs> And my moon. Um, I, I, in my deepest heart of hearts, I know that I am. I'm a Sam the Eagle. I'm a Sam the Eagle. Like, <laughs> like I, everyone wants to. Everyone wants to be Piggy because Piggy's fun. Piggy is extra and unreliable. And like, I've, I've got, I've got some of that. And you know, I've got a Piggy rising. But my son is very Sam the Eagle and very much like, what are you doing? Pull it together. <laughs> I, it makes Ugh. so much more sense the more you talk about it. I yeah. Just- I love this. I love this. I love this. Let's start the show. Talk about it. <laughs> Welcome to The Real Canon, a new pod about the genre pop culture we all live, breathe, and help make happen in real time. I'm Charles William Moore, writer for io9, and a casual acquaintance who really just wants to know how you're doing. And I'm John Reisinger, content creator and producer for Roost Teeth Productions and the Internet's Supportive Dad. Today, we're talking about the Muppets. Yeah, you know them, you love them. And uh, this week, the original Muppet Show is finally coming to Disney+, Plus, all the seasons, um, in all of its glory. And we figured that now's as good a time as any to dig into what it is about the various incarnations of the Muppets in both TV and film that have worked over the years. Um, you know, and why the original really still holds up. But first, we're rolling into Cannon Fodder, our quick breakdown of some of this week's most interesting entertainment news stories. So, for Cannon Fodder, we have some drama this week to go over. We got a couple of instances of uh, of drama. Yeah, it's um, drama all around and kind of some like follow-ups to things that we've talked about in the yeah. past uh, that are just about these larger stories. Let me go first. Well, we, we, we talked about Star Wars a couple of episodes ago. Um, and, but we didn't particularly talk about any sort of um, uh, hiccups that were going on with Mandalorian, particularly with Gina Carano, mm. um, who was playing... Cardoon. Cardoon. Yes. Gina Carano has been a point of contention and, and conflict mm. for a little while now. Um, she is an interesting character to follow on social media. <laughs> that's a very, I mean, that, that's a very generous and nice way of putting it i mean the, the tldr is that gina carano comes to you know fame as um, a fighter before and then as an actress on screen she's got credits in the x-men films and now she has this really big role in the mandalorian as cardoon um people are paying more and more attention to her behavior online um, because this wave of star wars fans is um really interactive with the fan base you know on twitter um, on all social media yeah um and because of the popularity of Cardoon, people really sort of latched on to her, um, both, you know, the character and Gina Carano herself, um, as, you know, that happens with characters and actors. Um, and what sort of began to happen is that people began to notice uh, just certain things that Gina Carano was doing on social media, things that were perceived as making fun of people who 
um, feel the need to express their pronouns um, mm -hmm. out of a desire to just, you know, have that out in the open. Mm -hmm. um, there were moments where she was seen, and all, mind you, all of this behavior really does boil down to what could be interpreted as like, not subtweeting necessarily, but winking and nodding at the kinds of things yeah. that people view as, at the very least, acknowledging um, these larger conversations that are going on about representation. Yeah, she also made comments about mask wearing, uh, making fun of it. She made comments about uh, alluding to maybe some anti-vaxxing uh, beliefs mm -hmm. that she might have. Um, just not the most proactively positive uh, messages that she could put out there. And then on top of that, when she was often called out on it by um, people on social media or, or you know, the, any sort of news outlet that covered it. There was never any sign, in my opinion, I, I noticed there was never any sign of like, um, I don't know, not remorse, but mm. even just trying to like um, find common ground or have a conversation about it. She would then respond often with like making fun of the people or uh, uh, being a bit more snide than some people have been often in this kind of position where like she 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 very much well was in a position to have her own show essentially from Disney about Star Wars mm. and she she's she was a, a beloved character in the Mandalorian and and she does have uh, you know a, a big fan base that likes her and so she was like she was like on this precipice of really I don't know launching a, a notable career um that she really hadn't experienced on this level in, in TV and film you know um and instead of seeing that moment as a time to maybe really watch your message and and uh uh maybe i don't know for lack of a better word censor yourself for the moment or or maybe a temper yourself is maybe a better word mm. she just kept stoking it and people kept uh speculating like she gonna is disney just gonna allow this person to, to like not only continue to do this in in a very public light mm. but also be associated with them and their message and um sure enough the lucasfilm finally came out with a met with a uh, statement saying um she'd been fired from uh any star wars projects and had no other projects in the future and they actually came out and were like um called like a lot of her actions like you know um abhorrent and 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 definitely not what they're 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 all about well i want to be really specific about what happened because what happened with gina carano most recently in the news you know her being fired from any future star wars projects that came as a result specifically of her sharing an image on social media that was likening um, the experience of being a Jewish person living in Germany during World War II to being a conservative who was being criticized for their political views, right? Now, that was sort of the final straw that came after what was recognized as a long history of people coming to Gina Carano and really sort of asking her to be more introspective and understanding about her actions. I'm really hesitant to, like... I'm really hesitant for when people bring up the word like censor because it's not so much censorship as it is like even if like let's like to play devil's advocate to give Gina Carano the benefit of the doubt even if she didn't necessarily mean to say things that could be perceived as being anti-Black Lives Matter, anti-vax, anti-Semitic even if that was not her intention part of you know part of the conversation that was happening within the Star Wars fandom was hey Gina even if you don't understand this we're coming to you and trying yeah. to explain it to you. Right. We are coming to you at the very least in good faith, you know, for some people, you know, some people obviously came out aggressively, but it was that that lack of or rather it, I think that what really sort of became the crux of the issue was this perception of there being an adversarial quality on both, you know, like predominantly coming from Carano that really just made this all seem in very poor, not just poor taste, but like out of malice.
Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, her co-star Pedro Pascal even had a is reported to have had like a personal conversation with her at one point about the whole um, pronouns conversation. He was, mm. and from the way that the story is told, is that it sounds like Pedro was attempting to make her, uh, not uh, uh, help her understand why people do it and maybe why it's important to um, to do it as a uh, as a person who you know m- could be an ally to these people and actually support this group um, and. Her response even to that was that of like, okay, that's, they can do that if they want. I'm not going to do it. And, and it was, it was again, like her own co-star who I assume have, would have a bit of a personal relationship with her was trying to bridge that gap. And, um, and she was very, um, I think you put it well, she was very adversarial about it. Yeah. And I mean, and, you know, it's, it's interesting that you bring up Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal is also in the news right now because his sister has, like his sister has come out as being transgender. Um mm-hmm. And a part of her coming out story is really sharing the fact that Pedro was overwhelmingly, you know, supportive mm-hmm. um, in when she decided to come out. And as personal a story as that is, it really is a testament to what all one can use their star power and platform to do in terms of just advocacy, advocacy for tolerance and acceptance of marginalized people. And to see you know, to see these people on the opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to the conversation that we're having specifically about respecting trans people in public spaces, see that all sort of hovering, you know, <laughs> with seeing that all hovering around Star Wars of all things is wild and sort of, you know, it's, it's fascinating if only for the fact that, you know, everyone who's paying attention to this presumably understands, understands all the players in the game, right? They understand what all of this buildup is. No matter what your position on whether or not Gina Carano should have been fired is you understand how it is that we got to this point. And I think it's yeah. going to be really fascinating to see what people take out of this entire ordeal going forward. Yeah. And moving on to another uh, piece of news that's, that's very recently, uh, you know, uh, come out. Uh, Chris McCarpenter from, you know, Buffy the Vampire and a- Angel uh, fame uh, comes out with uh, accusations against Josh Whedon and misconduct in her um, involvement with him in production. Yeah. which is a, a a big deal and and a um uh, a an added chapter to this ongoing story about Josh Sweden and his you know continuing uh lack I don't know trying trying to phrase it properly how would you describe his story well I mean I in in, in talking about this I do want to center the conversation on charisma carpenter first and foremost because again this is another example of a celebrity using their platform um in this case to speak their truth um to do a kind of advocacy for transparency about workplace abuses that need to be called out so as you know to prevent that behavior from popping up again in the industry down the line um what charisma carpenter the interesting thing about what charisma carpenter said this week um she explained how just backstory like you said uh she was a character clearly chased on buffy the vampire slayer went on to become um, a core cast member on the spinoff show angel um, and then was like very unceremoniously written off the show in a wild convoluted plot that involved her becoming pregnant with like the hellspawn from another dimension that possessed her. And then she's left in a coma and never heard from again. And it was very odd um, at the time, just watching it. Everyone was like, huh, that's so strange because, you know, Cordelia had really grown as a character and had given Charisma Carpenter just like a different kind of character to inhabit for people who had grown up watching her. Um, Cordelia's being killed off the show effectively coincided with Charisma Carpenter's actually being pregnant, um, which, you know, is very much uh, the kind of thing that happens. And we are all aware of how when actresses in the past have gotten pregnant, that, you know, can mean the lack of job opportunities that can mean getting fired. 
um, what Charisma Carpenter called out, or rather detailed this week, was specifically conversations that she had with Joss Whedon, things that mm-hmm. made her deeply uncomfortable. Um, his asking whether or not she was going to terminate her pregnancy, with the subtext being, you know, like, hey, you have obligations to this show, what are you going to do? Um, also, his making comments about a rosary tattoo that she had that she interpreted as a jab at her faith, all of these kinds of things that, in the context of a relationship between, you know, the series creator for the show that you're working on and an actress are deeply inappropriate um, in any context, um, to say nothing of, you know, being an actress who's worked with this creator um, for years and has helped these shows, you know, be what they are, and then she becomes pregnant and then is, you know, unceremoniously thrown to the curb. Charisma Carpenter comes out and says all of this, um, and also she makes a point of saying, I believe and stand with Ray Fisher. Yeah. Right. And that's the important thing because even though what Ray Fisher, you know, even though what Ray Fisher has talked about what happened with his experience with Joss Whedon don't necessarily bear any resemblance to Charisma Carpenter's, what she's saying is like, no, no, no. Please understand that the unhealthy and toxic work relationship that I had with Joss Whedon has left me in such a place where I believe it when other people come forward and say similar things. Yeah. Um, in the wake of Charisma Carpenter coming out, um, a bunch of other people who worked on Buffy um, came out and said, I stand with Charisma, I stand with Ray Fisher. I think Michelle Trachtenberg came out, Amber Benson. Um, they both came out with statements essentially, you know, supporting her. And then Sarah Michelle Geller said, you know, I'm taking time right now to focus on me and my family, but please understand that, like, I support and believe survivors, you know. And this has all sort of become this wildly unexpected massive moment where things that have been in the ether and in the, uh, just like in the atmosphere about Joss Whedon's behavior are now being talked about explicitly. What was wild about when this story broke, right, was that what Charisma Carpenter said was not unknown before. You know, Correct. she had spoken about it in a way on stage in the past at cons and sort of addressing why it is that she left the show. Yeah. Um, but then her very presence at these cons talking about them is, you know, it's so not strange to look at in retrospect, but really sort of heartbreaking to look at in retrospect. Because it's like, oh, you fully under, you know, she was not in a position, did not feel comfortable to tell, you know. Yeah. What was actually going on and you know the public was all sort of left with this like ah this, everything feels weird but they're here so ah and we we hear rumors about joss whedon but they go talked about very briefly and then ignored and then a new project comes out you know you've got yeah. your your fireflies your avengers age of ultron your that new show the nevers all these things come out and it's just sort of like ah what ah, it's, it's 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 mind-boggling i think what what I, I take from uh, happenings like this is that you hope that each time something like this happens, that it is that like breaking point for mm. this kind of person's toxic behavior being allowed to continue as long as they, you know, make good content. Mm. Um, you know, uh, there's there there seems to be with a lot of these uh, problematic figures in, you know, in celebrity <laughs> that, um, you know, th- they continue to have. Uh, the ability to spread this uh, toxicity throughout their career mm. um, and it's ignored to a degree um, because of people not feeling in a position of power people not feeling comfortable to bring out about it or even stuff being stifled because the person's that popular or talented um, but nevertheless you if you hear about these things and you believe these these stories and you believe these survivors then what you hope for is that like you know change will happen and that these people who are in a position of power will perhaps be taken away from this position of power because I don't think people who, you know, uh, act that way should be in a position of power. Um, 
And so my my hope is that with Charisma's story and everyone backing her up and everyone continuing to also redirect that towards Ray Fisher, mm. um, that this is like I, I think I think Joss Whedon needs to needs to I think he needs to go away and think about his actions for a little bit to say the least. Um and not be given, you know, another feature film project, you know, to um spread that poison around further. Um but I guess it's time will tell at this point, really. Time will tell. All right. So that was a we went to kind of a That was listen, listen, we talk about the heavy things because they're important, but that's not that they're all like that's not all there is to life. And obviously we're here to talk about much brighter things as well. Softer, fuzzier, inanimate, but also kind of sentient things. You know, you know, Muppets. Yeah, time to go to State of the Canon. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, so with Disney Plus's launch of all of the original seasons of the original Muppet Show coming up uh, this week, I believe, when this episode uh, premieres. Yes. Um, we wanted to take some time to talk about the Muppets. Uh, I, I, I make it no secret that I, John Reisinger, am a massive Muppets fan and have been my entire life. Um, <laughs> have followed them since a wee bab um checked out the original uh series from the library yes back in the day children we used to go to the library and we would check out movies out of vhs or dvd um <laughs> that was a thing um so we want to talk about muppets and we want to talk about kind of like why the muppets is a thing and and tackle kind of this bigger question i think that uh constantly follows the muppets since they they vary in um content and style and tone is is are the Muppets meant for adults? Are the Muppets meant for kids? Is there a happy medium? Who are the Muppets meant for? Um, and I, just, I, I wanted to go through, you know, their career and really discuss this. Yeah. I mean, you know, the easiest way to answer the, that question, are the Muppets for children or the Muppets for adults? The answer is yes. Um, mm-hmm. The answer is like yes and no. Um, the Muppets are very philosophical that way. They are for whomever you want them to be. Um but obviously, like that contentious question is a big part of the Muppets' rise to fame. There is this almost like pendulum swing back and forth between mature content, what we would consider more mature content, and then content sure. aimed at a younger audience that has this propulsive force that you can see as, you know, Jim Henson is swinging, you know, from these poles back and forth. People all the while are watching the Muppets evolve into, rather, evolve from just being these very cute relatively simple to what they are now puppets into becoming these uh, there's so much more you know the muppet is a portmanteau of muppet or marionette and puppet but they are so much more than either of those things you know there is the 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 uncanny lifelessness of a puppet or other Mm -hmm. of a marionette is wholly missing in a muppet um and also that was a big thing that was a big thing about the original design was that the the hand control that jim and his puppeteers able to to wield of these things gave them much more character than people were used to prior with, you know, ventriloquists or marionettes or anything like that. Right. And it's like, it's, it's interesting to look at the kinds or rather the modes of expressiveness that the Muppets or rather that the puppeteers, you know, handling the Muppets are really employing to get the jokes across because that I think is the really sort of ever present way that you can reliably sort of guess who they're going for. Yeah. You know, ain't like laughs that are aimed at kids. It's all about exaggerated expressions and open mouth movements. Whereas when the Muppets are really being shady, funny, it's their hands that are doing a lot of the acting for them. It's like, mm-hmm. ugh, this is what you're hitting me with. But I mean, you look back at, you know, pre-Muppet show, you look at the proto-Muppets on Sam and Friends, which gives us, you know, that's where we first get Kermit, you know, before he's announced as being the frog. He's just Kermit at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see these glimpses of 
satirical humor that are aimed at what we would consider, you know, like people like us, you know, not necessarily the kind of thing that kids are going to get a kick out of beyond the fact that like, oh, that thing is a, well, at the time it was black and white when it first came out, but it's like, yeah. oh, that thing is a, an odd, vaguely frog looking thing that's making fun of the news. I guess that's kind of funny just for absurdity's sake. But from, from the perspective of like an adult audience, I have to imagine that that was very, I'm sure it was kitsch, but it was also sort of like, oh, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing a thing that just, I feel like in it's early, if I was, I went back and watched a couple of the clips of Sam and Friends and watching it, I thought to myself, like, I don't really know who this is for. And I think that that sort of intrigue is what got people sort of hooked on it initially. Yes. And I think, I think in talking about the Muppets and talking about, you know, what, what the canon of the Muppets is, you, you have to talk about Jim and Jim Henson's intentions with the Muppets and any of his projects. And what a lot of people, um, I don't know if the word is fail, but the w- w- miss about uh, Jim is that while Jim was very successful in creating a lot of different, you know, a very child-based content, you know, mm. Sesame Street and Fraggle Rock and Muppet Babies and that kind of thing, um, Jim was never obsessed or, or really all that interested in making children's content. Mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. he was mostly just interested in living in whatever medium he was working in at the time and pushing it to its limits. Yeah. Um, and w- along that way, making as good of a story and as good of a product as possible. He was a perfectionist. He was a workaholic. Um, and he was uh, an eternal optimist. And so he took that into every project he did. And while, you know, he would land certain projects that would kind of lend to that name of him being the guy who makes, you know, the kids content, like Sesame Street being mm-hmm. wildly successful and still on, um, it, it, it was a constant pendulum swing and on, on the spectrum for Jim of making things for not necessarily the audience that we thought he was making it for, but making it for himself. Yeah. Um, and for the message that he was trying to, to, uh, succeed or, or, or kind of tell with each of the projects like Fraggle Rock, while it was a kid's show, was essentially Jim trying to make a show that was about world peace. That's what, <laughs> that's what Fraggle Rock was. And um, Muppet Babies, although it is just, you know, it's a cartoon based off of these characters that came out of Muppets Take Manhattan. Um, Muppet Babies was an opportunity for Jim to just make some extra money to buy back his old licensings and also fun new ones like, uh, you know, Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and that mm. kind of thing. So, you know, he he wasn't a Mr. Rogers at the very least. He, Mr. Rogers was was a character that was completely devoted to and obsessed with creating wholesome content for children for his entire career. Uh, Jim was a- an artist that wanted to push the medium at all times. I, 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 what I love about that, like that gap period between Sam and friends and the original Muppet show that really, you know, sort of kicks everything off is there's this period where you start to see the Muppets doing a lot of, um, doing a lot of guest appearances across uh, late yes. night TV um, you know, like, uh, I'm thinking like you see them up, it's on like the Ed Sullivan show. And what's mm-hmm. really fascinating about this part, like that, that specific moment, um, in like the Muppets history is <sighs> I'm figuring, I'm trying to figure out how to put this. It's th- like the appeal was both the, the puppetry, obviously the puppetry and the humor, but it's also the flesh and blood celebrities that they're interacting with, you know? Yeah. And it's not just like, Oh, here's a puppet hanging out with the singer it's about that chemistry and the ability yeah. for the performer to get the bit like they get the bit and the performers obviously or rather the, the puppeteers obviously get the bit and they're creating this wild fantasy that 
ends up being the thing that makes the Muppet Show a real success. I, <laughs> I mean, there's this clip that I love. It's like Ralph, like Rolf and Jimmy Dean singing together. And Rolf is like Rolf is a top tier Muppet, first of all. Um, Agreed. Mainly because he's chill as fuck. You know, he's very yeah. like mm, okay. And it's just Rolf being like, "Hey, Jimmy Dean." You want to jam? And it's just like, ah. <laughs> and the thing that's great about it is Jimmy Dean's like, I don't know what this dog's deal is, but yes. And it, you, that, you see that getting sharper and sharper as the, the Muppet show really gains steam. And I yeah. think that the, 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 that magic, for lack of a better word, that's really what hooks people who, you know, start hearing the buzz about Jim Henson and what he does with puppets that's the thing that makes his involvement with Sesame Street really give Sesame Street that upward momentum to make it, you know, something that not only people are cautiously interested in because they're confused by it. They're like, oh, I love this and I definitely want to share it with my kids, you know? Yeah. Uh, with the Muppet Show, particularly with the, the, the human characters being added in to ground the show, they were so... Uh, cognizant of whenever people were asked to be guests on the show that they asked them what did they want to do with the Muppets mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like it wasn't just like if you were if you were asked on and you were uh you know a musician they just assumed that you were just going to do a song with the Muppets that was it they would ask like what do you want to do do you want to do a skit with the Muppets do you want to sing with them do you want to dance with them what do you want to do let's let's make this a space that works for you and, and and then on top of that also the guests that they had for the show in this conversation about who the Muppets were for in this kind of idea of like that it's supposed to be somewhere in the spectrum like the guests on the muppet show the original one were not necessarily guests that were geared towards children no know? no and i mean like like right before the muppet show like truly properly like launches there's the muppets valentine show with mia farrow who was mm -hmm. like I, you know i'm sh <laughs> me as a gay man i like to joke as a like oh as a child i love mia farrow no kids don't know who mia farrow is no. right and it's just mia farrow hanging out with a puppet trying to be like yo let me help you work through your writer's block and so you can write yeah. a letter to the person that you love and it's it's you you keep touching on this idea of like um jim henson doing things or ultimately following his heart in terms of his creative desires and it's interesting that you can see there's this there's this one two punch of the muppets valentine special with mia farrow um and then <laughs> Um, which I did not know about. <laughs> say it. Until, uh, say it. God, I What's mean, the title of the other one? The Muppet Show: Sex and Violence. Yeah, and it's like these are these are looking at them now. It's like they are the closest thing to what the, the Muppet Show eventually became. And yeah. ABC passed on both of them. Correct. And what's wild is like you look at them and it's like, huh, it is doing the thing. You know, it's doing what the Muppet Show is going to do. But for whatever specific reason, whoever sensibilities at the time who had the judgment call to say yes or no. It was like, no. And then that's, I, I feel, I feel like that's something to really keep in mind because as much as we sort of can in retrospect, like project, oh, like we, this is why we happen to like this Muppet movie and not that Muppet movie. And it's a very established idea in the, like, I feel like when you're actually closer to it in the moment, there is a certain amount of arbitrariness to it because you, I don't know about you, but I would love to see a modern day, like. <laughs> not PSA, but like dramatization about life's woes where the seven deadly sins come and visit you and they're all Muppets and they're talking about like, yo, like get off those dating apps. They're not good for you. They're only going to bring you misery. Charles is talking about that literally in Muppets, sex and violence. They had the, was in that, that pilot show that they had the seven deadly sins that represented was, by that, Muppets? That was the seven deadly, yes, that's that, that, that is, I, I, I saying it, saying it out loud, it sounds ridiculous, but it's like, <laughs> it does. <laughs> but it's like, no, like, yes, that is a space that the Muppets can exist in, but like I was saying, that that doesn't work. The Muppet Show does eventually become this roaring success that becomes 
it's it's I'm trying to think of how to put it because like looking back on the Muppet Show, it was a variety show that was on TV at a time when variety shows were kind of going the way of the dodo. You know, mm-hmm. um, they it's you've got sketch comedy. Um, sketch comedy is very much an established thing, but that's not just what the Muppet Show was. It wasn't just comedic performers coming out and doing skits on SNL where the Muppets yeah. had also performed. It was a little bit of that. You've got a little bit of jokes about the Muppets actually, you know, working on a production. And then you've got all these celebrities who are, you know, in, in, in a very wrestling kind of way in on the bit and trying to, I remember as a kid watching old episodes of the Muppets and being like, mm, I mean, you sang the song. I, mm-hmm. I, 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 I can't tell if, if this was found footage or not, but like, that's that, that's, that's to to my mind that is still the Muppets existing in this weird sort of I don't know what I am space, but because I'm just close enough to something that you know, that thing being um, variety TV shows, it was enough for the like the public to be able to hold on to it and let it keep like mutating into all of these weird things, particularly up on the big screen. Yeah, and and the Muppets have always kind of a uh, you know through through the ages, you know, from their 1976 premiere on their on their TV show all the way to like the most recent iteration of it on disney plus Mm. they've ebbed and flow with not only like tone and message but also in quality and success Mm. like while no one can you know say that jim henson or the henson company has not been a successful company um there there were plenty of failures along the way and and missteps and it's it's always kind of hard to tell or, or even nail down like why do they work when they work and then when they like try to like kind of a keep using that 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 steam to keep it going and make another one it eventually runs out of steam and they have to take a break again it i know that's 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 normal for almost any ip you know star wars is even experiencing that um or has experienced that in the past uh but the muppets was very particular in that in that they would you know come out with stuff they came out with the show and the show was super successful so then they made a feature film the first feature film was wildly successful. Like I think the budget was like $8 million and the gross was like $65 million. So everyone was like, this is a good experiment. Um, But then like the movies after that, you know, kind of kept, you know, losing uh, money along the way and not doing as well. And then like, uh, you know, uh, Jim makes the first iteration of the dark crystal. It's a complete failure. But then uh, they take an idea from Muppets take Manhattan and Muppet babies is extremely successful. Right. Right eight seasons you know animated by marvel's whole cartoon company um and the same same as like in the modern day like uh, muppets went away after muppets from space because no one really cared about muppets from space don't no say one... that don't be rude <laughs> okay all right like you don't have to be disrespectful you can just say okay, I wait. you can so just then, say i so then, no, no, no. Didn't see it okay so then i i have now i have now landed on where our contention is with me and charles because i recently found out that charles just watched Muppets Treasure Island recently for the first time did not like it and now you're a fan of Muppets from Space I'm not saying I'm a fan of it I'm saying I acknowledge its existence and there are people <laughs> out there who think that it is an unappreciated gem um, <laughs> okay it's, okay. it's, it's we, we, when we were talking about this we were going back and forth about how to break this conversation up because to talk about you can't talk about the films without talking about the show and vice versa but there is this almost sort of inbuilt stability um relatively speaking um, with the films um because they obviously they don't come out as frequently and they are you know they are events it's always i feel like growing up whenever a muppet thing was coming out i was always picking up on the nostalgia that was being sold even though i wasn't all that far out from when the muppet movies were first dropping and it's always supposed to be like 
Remember the last time you saw the Muppets doing a big, big, big bit where everybody had other names? Don't you want to see that again? And everyone's yeah. like, yeah, I do. But that's like, that's its own thing. I feel like with the television shows, it really all does kind of end up boiling down to whether or not you were at the right age or the right time to appreciate what the shows were trying to be. Um, because I just in prep for this was going back and sort of dipping my toes into um, the various, like I, I watched a few episodes of Muppet Babies, a show that I loved as a child and have, had not watched as an adult. And it's like, oh, this is, this is ridiculous. Um, yeah, it was. <laughs> um, but it was still sort of, um, you can see like those, those, those essential elements of the characters that are there. You know, you've got control freak Piggy and you've got micromanager Kermit and they've got their adorable little costumes. And it's almost sort of like, well, yeah, the Muppets were always, as much as we love the characters and think of them as being these very unique personalities, they were playing up on archetypes that we know from fiction. You know, the harried, the harried man lover who is just like so overwhelmed by his wife, but he just, you know, he doesn't care that she flies off the, the chain all the time. That's just a, that, that is a, that is a dynamic that we know in pop culture writ large. And so when you see it pop up in the Muppets, if it's a right time, it's a right place, right time situation, there's a recognition in like a, oh yeah, I get what this is doing. And in that sense, there's this, I feel like that's part of, you know, the, the Muppets really just being these almost like primordial story figures, you know, that we, we, because of, because of their prevalence in pop culture, we assign, we assigned a grandeur to them. That's understandable, but it's like, y'all, like these really are, these are puppets whose initial, whose initial magic was being able to step outside of the puppet amphitheater. It, it almost makes you wonder and kind of play in this world of like a, what if, because, uh, the, the original show ran for five seasons. Um, and was ended because Jim wanted to end it. It was not ended because he was being told by any producers or TV networks that they didn't want anymore. He had all the success and, and, and forward momentum, momentum in the world to make Muppet Show something that stayed around forever, as long as like Sesame Street has. Like they, they, right, they could still right. be making the Muppet Show, and he wanted to end it. Uh, it makes you kind of wonder, like, how would that have changed the landscape of like this ebb and flow of Muppet projects if? you know, the Muppets had just kept going forever. Would we still have seen, you know, the random movies still coming out every once in a while? Would we see the random side projects coming out every once in a while? Or would it have been more like Sesame Street where it's like, that's the product. There is no other side products. You know, although Sesame Street is like branched out with more like Elmo's right, I know what you mean. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the core the brand Muppets, is still pretty tight. Yeah, it's still pretty tight. It's yeah. just what it is. Um, but instead, because he ended it, it kind of left the Muppets up for continual reinterpretation mm. you know uh it, it, even after his death there was they you know uh his son brian henson took his directorial debut with muppet christmas carol and they tried this whole idea of the muppets being this adaptation engine um and to take you know literature pieces and and adapt it that way and so muppet christmas carol was was another you know success and and one of the best movies made of all time correct come at me correct uh <laughs> and and, you know, and, and they continue that, but then, you know, then you've got again, another reboot later, um, with the, the Muppets movie with, uh, what's his name from how I met your mother? What's his name? Ooh, not Jason Sudeikis, Jason Siegel. Siegel. No, Jason. Yep. <laughs> um, which was a rousing success, you know, Academy nominated, uh, movie because of a song, but still, um, what was the song? Was it Tea Party? Me Party? No, it was, a uh, um, was it Muppet or uh, a Man? Man or a Muppet? Muppet or a Man. Oh yeah. God, the song is terrible. It's not the good song. The good song is at the top of the, of the, uh, no, the good song is one that Kermit sings, um, about, uh, 
is there more I could have been? That, where he's like talking about, uh, you know, back the good old times. That's the good song for the movie. Anyways, I digress. But then, but then that one, like, they made a sequel. And while it was critically, like, okay by some people, it was a financial failure. Muppets Most Wanted did not make the bucks they needed. So Muppets went away for a bit. Um, and then ABC was like, hey, we're going to make another one. We're going to hand it over to some of these writers that have been making some, some decent shows and good shows for quite a while. And we're going to try to make, like, this office, you know, modern family parks and rec version of, of Muppets. And that was another instance of, I think mixed reviews and mixed uh you know reception but financial failure and so they took a break again and then now they're trying again so like yeah i think you touched on it where it's like these archetypal characters very much like godzilla and king kong which we just talked about to uh you know an episode ago where these characters are bigger than their individual um successes and failures and will keep coming back with another attempt at trying to capture that original magic and i think the original magic is somewhere in that spectrum we keep talking about of who the Muppets is meant for if you can come back and make the Muppets in a way that it is made for the audience it's it's meant for um you can be a success otherwise you're going to make a bunch of weird improvised youtuber sketches on Disney plus and people are gonna be like pass you bringing up like I I I, I'm well aware of uh, the adaptation you know the adaptation formula that the Muppets fell into after a while but I had never really considered you know the obvious reality that that can't last forever. You know, there, there, there are many public domains that you can adapt that are out there, but yeah. that is not a guaranteed, you know, formula for success. And I guess you can really, I think there, there's something to be said for the idea that there came at, there came a point at which the Muppet, you know, the Muppet IP in people's minds became untethered from sort of any real main mothership that had a directive, which is a weird way of thinking about it. That, cause it's, we like to think of our relationships with media that we love as being deeply personal and they are, yeah. but they are also informed by like larger signals. You know what I mean? Like that's just something mm-hmm. that we have to be aware of. Um, and so I, for one personally, I loved the office Muppets. I, same, I same as much as I love seeing the Muppets being ridiculous workplace ridiculousness, like the, the idea of the Muppets being little Muppets and getting coffee and like getting being on scooters and being like, I don't feel like dealing with HR right now because I'm really stressed right now and I don't have my Xanax. That's great. Like that to me is yeah. oh fantastic. It was so good. And I get that that's very much a, but again, that's like a, that is my comedic sensibility. And I get Correct. that that writer's room was writing for that. But because there's this way that the Muppets, it's sort of like, all right, you get on where you get on, then we drop you off. And there's a, there's a way in which you can kind of be stuck there because there isn't this larger sort of, like prevailing interest in like what the Muppets are going to do next. It does. It is always this reinvention, this rebooting, this sort of, we're going to retool them for a modern age, as opposed to it feeling not like a, not like a a streamlined canonical progression from one point to another, but just sort of like a, Oh, you know, the Muppets like they've been here. Of course the Muppets are going to change a little bit. You know, they've, 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 they've been bopping around in one form or another. And so their evolution just sort of comes organically and almost unnoticeably. It's always that very jarring, like, we're back and it's like oh my god you guys chill 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 chill. it almost seems yeah it almost seems like in like as you're talking this through it i'm in my head like all i'm hearing is like the longer the muppets are around the harder it is to um nail down who the demographic is for this group of you know absurd creatures because um while you and i love the abc version i i do know even like another friend of mine elise willems um who is a, another just absolutely die hard muppets fan just hates it she didn't like it she yeah. thought it was way too cynical she thought it was way too um uh 
just kind of negative in its kind of tone. Um, but all that being said, like she liked the Muppets now, the the Disney Plus, like she didn't like that either. She thought it felt like it was unpolished and didn't really have the smartness that you uh, expect with a lot of the content that comes out of Muppets. Like Muppets is like pratfalls and silly puns, but also there's there's um, charisma and, and and intelligence and and cadence and 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 and, and a lot of thought going into what they they do and so i don't think you can just stick them in a room with a camera and like slightly improvise with them and you'll get the same product yeah all that said like you know they're now making muppets content for multiple generations again this is like very similar to star wars where you have decades of different uh people that like this ip and every time you come out with a new iteration of it you're you're kind of gambling on which one you think will show up yeah. for your views. I think that there, it's definitely going to be interesting to see because I feel like this has to be part of Disney's plan, how people react to the idea of the Muppets now that the original show is going to be in a centralized place that you can easily get access to it, you know, because there is something, there is something really powerful in being able to just like turn on your TV and like binge watch something because you just in that, like in that more condensed viewing experience, you can pick up on what it is that you like or dislike about the Muppets. And then that sort of, you know, it becomes another becomes another wave of conversation about this old show that is you know hitting a new audience for the first time perhaps because you know it's all been remastered and put online um i think that well i I think that when we're talking about this 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 constant rebooting i think it's because there are these people who love the muppets very very dearly and because they hold on to that specific thing it's like well the thing that i'm going to bring back into the public is going to be a riff on that thing that i like and because it can just be such a a hard pivot in one direction or another from something that isn't necessarily like a common shared source material, the way that like the show could be in existing in like a single space. Now, mind you, this is not an ad for Disney plus. I'm not saying that you should go and get a subscription. I'm just saying that it's out there now. Right. And there are, it's going to be that much easier for people to be like, here's this thing as a complete unit. How do I feel about it? What, what I, what I, I hope to get from this release of the seasons of the original show back out into the public space and particularly a season of it that we didn't have prior to watching it when it came out. Season five has never been released. I thought it was seasons four and five, but yeah, they're oh, all. Oh, was it two seasons? Yeah, yeah. They were never released on, you know, they were never released for home. So that's all just going to be that alone. It's like, all right, unless you were someone who went out and hunted those seasons down, there's a chance that you did not catch them unless you were watched, like went like ready and waiting for them at home. Yeah. And so what I, what I'm, I'm hoping is that, you know, as always with any Muppets project like this, that it, inspires a whole nother group of people to either um visit for the first time or revisit the muppets because i always want new muppets content to be made but then more particularly for a very specific you know talented creator to then come with a very specific idea to really you know um use the muppets as an engine for it. like jason siegel is a great example like he basically was the engine that drove a lot of the muppets movie reboot and and i, I think you can see that in the genuineness in that movie um i think another example is the dark crystal reboot while a financial I, i'm pretty sure financial failure as far as like being so expensive it people just didn't loved really drive it though, yeah the netflix subscriptions um you, you cannot go and watch that show and not tell me that it was made by a it was not made by a bunch of super passionate talented people who uh gave it two thousand percent every yeah. single day that that movie is a, i mean that tv series is a masterpiece and so similar to kind of like, uh, you know, Marvel going, hey, Taika Waititi, take Thor and and make Thor work. And he went, I got this. And he did like 
do that now again with the Muppets. I want, I, I still always want to see more Muppets content and, and, and I want to see Muppets content that is of a caliber of quality that Jim would be proud about. Oof. If only puppetry was cheap, easy to produce on a budget. <laughs> could be living large, man. We could be living in a golden age of puppetry, but no, no. <laughs> first, first film, $8 million. All it took. It's all it took. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Um, what's Michael Caine up to? Can he do something with them again? Michael Caine, just... Michael Caine is minding his old English business. <laughs> I don't know what those puppets are up to. Nope, nope. Uh, maybe someday. Shall we wrap this up? Let's wrap this up. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so we got our headcanon section of the of the show um, where we talk a little bit about that. And so I kind of just wanted to 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 really, since the Muppets is a IP that constantly gets rebooted and reused and, and they're, they have like six different origin stories. I wanted to really just hear really briefly from you, Charles, like what is your head canon of who the Muppets are, where they come from and what their like goal as a group is. Mm, you mean like the Muppets as performers, like, like as living people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cause in my head, like I've, I've always kind of, um, I, I really think that, uh, Jim, kind of nailed it with the original Muppet movie um, in that it was the story of a bunch of performers coming together um, that are, you know, a myriad of different, you know, type of creatures, which I think mm-hmm. is a great metaphor for just diversity in general. Um, even though the majority of the puppeteers, puppet, puppeteers were just white dudes. Yep. Um, all that being said, the puppets themselves, at least the visual of them on screen is, is a picture of diversity. Um, and, uh, they all come together with their talents and, and quirks and are even with the enticement of fame, fortune, and, and, you know, selling out, um, to a man who wanted to sell frog legs. Um, <laughs> they stick to their dream that they want to make, um, you know, content and entertainment that makes people happy. And that is their, that is their purpose in life. And that's just a wholesome, you know, message that, I have to keep holding on to, and I think the Muppets are are, are going to always be that uh, engine of that that message for me. That is very heartfelt, John. <laughs> My goodness. Let me mind you, I'm a I'm a nihilistic pessimist who is like just like as cynical as can be. But the Muppets is where I can at least find positivity. Sure. My head canon is decidedly simpler and darker. Um, love I it. love to believe that the Muppets are all people um, living double lives. Uh, there is a. <laughs> We're always like, my God, the Muppets, they've been putting on shows for decades now. Why can't they ever seem to get a theater booked the way that you would imagine that someone who's done it so many times do? It's because, like, when Kermit's not, you know, trying to put out fires and trying to get a show together and trying to get Gonzo to, like, get out of the canon if you're not going to be on stage, it's literally because he's got a family and kids who have nothing to do with Miss Piggy that live out in the suburbs who don't know what he does <sighs> in his free time. You know, I was like, Kermit, why are you gone on the weekends? And he's like, oh, I don't, I'm not going to do a Kermit now. Um, but you know, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> that's what you it know, is. I will say if you did a Kermit impression right now, it'd be better than the guy who's doing Kermit's voice right now. Oh, Don't like the guy who's doing oh, Kermit's voice right now. Come on now. No, 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 no. I, 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 I have no opinion. I have no opinion. Dude, you're going to, you're going to watch, you're going to watch the show when it comes out on Disney plus, you're going <laughs> to listen to the original gym and you're going to be like, Oh, it is wrong. It's wrong. Just, just come at me in the comments. I'll, I'll defend myself. That's it for headcanons. <laughs> All right, man. I guess, goodness, we did it. So that brings this episode of The Real Canon to a close. If you liked what you heard, and we know you did, drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts because it definitely helps us out a lot. 
Yeah. And if you're not already subscribed, I'd love you to change that. Subscribe now. Our show is still growing. And luckily, we've been growing more and more each week. And I want the momentum to continue. Yes. I want to invite people to join us in the conversation. So on top of subscribing with us, on top of telling your auntie to subscribe to us, <laughs> um, be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Real Cannon Pod. So get ready, get hyped, and we'll be back next week with more of The Real Cannon.